Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this rip on the Once Bitten podcast with Kyle Murphy from Pleb Labs, who joins me to talk about the project that they are running over there in the uh, in Austin, in Texas, trying to help entrepreneurs and anyone with a love of Bitcoin build something for the plebs. It's an incredible initiative, and I think you're going to love the passion and the energy that Ryan brings, as well as the honesty and open way in which he answered some very deep questions we were talking about his military career and uh yeah th- thank you man thank you for sharing i think this one's going to resonate with a lot of people uh, please reach out to kyle if you have any further questions after this show uh before we get into the show and please make sure you are stacking as many sats as you can in these times of nice cheap sats if you think you're late to the party you're not. If you're new here, you are buying Bitcoin at 2017 prices. Let that sink in. You just stepped into a time machine. So get stacking. Set up a dollar cost average, fiat cost average plan. There are certain companies you can use all around the world. Do your own research. Find the one closest to you. Make sure it's a Bitcoin only company because then you will not be getting prompted to trade in and out all of the time. You want to buy and you want to hold. So if you can buy without breaking yourself, i.e. just little by little each week, that is the best plan. This is an earn your freedom slowly plan, not get rich quick scheme. In the US, you can use Swan Bitcoin. Across the UK and Europe, you can use Coin Corner. They are an exchange. You can set up auto buys. You can use Relay. That is an app. And you can use Hoddle Hoddle. Now, Relay and Swan, They are pure dollar cost average services. Relay are now entering into more services where you can link your day-to-day credit card or debit card, whatever, and you can start smash buying. They've got more announcements coming soon. And both companies have a private offering. So if you've got 100,000 euros of dollars or more in a year, you want to stack, get hold of Swan or get hold of Relay. Hoddle Hoddle, you can stack KYC free global peer-to-peer trading platform. Go check them out if you want KYC free sats. If you want to up your privacy on the stack you already have, consider a coin join service. There are a couple out there. Do your own research. The easiest one I've used is wasabiwallet.io. You can listen to Max Hillebrand. He's been on the show a few times. And you just download that on your desktop, hit a wallet, Uh, excuse me, create a wallet, write down your words, hit a receive address, run some of your stash through there. See if it's a service you want to play around with and learn more about. But then get it onto a hardware wallet, Bitbox 02, Bitcoin only edition hardware wallet by shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Use code bitten for a 5% discount. All these links are in my link tree. All these links are in the show notes. Please make sure you're checking them out and download Orange Pill app. 
coming to Android soon. Listen out for conference details after the show. Enjoy this rip with Kyle. Kyle, good to see you, brother. Likewise, man. And, and you know, as we were just saying, uh, and I've just realized my mic's not plugged in. Hang on, rookie. Let's see. And there you go. That should be better. I mean, it does sound better. It's less echoey. I I won't I won't edit at that. You know, so the plebs get the uh, get the inside look at, at what really happens in a podcasting studio, which is just a back bedroom. But um, <laughs> we we would nice. just as we were about to start chatting, always make the the same mistake: start chatting with plebs before you hit record, and all of the good stuff gets uh, gets missed. And uh, I was just saying, you know, how quickly time has flown. I can't believe uh, I was in Miami just in April. It was only in April, and it feels as though 10 years has passed. It's completely nuts. Yeah, I mean, there's a a meme that says Bitcoin time is just different than like fiat time, and I think it's accurate. I mean, it is it's astounding how much gets condensed into how little time frame. Like it, it still kind of blows my mind when I think back on the fact that Pleb Lab as like a legal entity is not even one year old yet. <laughs> so what have you done this year? What have been like the, the highlights for you this year? Um, great question i think i have to like really kind of like look back and try to remember when this year started (laughs) um i guess the block party would have been the year prior so what happened since then uh i would say actually forming the legal entity pleb lab is is a highlight just to actually say it's a real thing it got it had gone from an idea to like a fleshed out physical thing um, having our first round of fundraising come in and being able to kind of scale up from our, our 200 square foot humble beginnings into our new office space is, a that was a, a pretty big moment for us. Just like, um, yeah, Lauren, uh, Lauren's go- just walked in. Lauren's just walked in. Okay. Lauren, this is Kyle Hi. and he's, he's got a business called Pleb Labs. What is Pleb Labs? Club Lab is uh, a accelerator program focused on supporting the Bitcoin Lightning developer ecosystem. So we basically are just a group of guys who got an office space and kind of dedicate our time and resources to uh, trying to help other guys like us build out the Bitcoin ecosystem. Bunch of friends having fun trying to build on Bitcoin. Some people call that work. These guys don't. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it is definitely a a dream job come true. I I wake up every day and hang out with people that I care about, and yeah, I mean there are definitely worse ways to spend your day. I I like I care about what we're doing. I care about the people I do it with. Uh, It's definitely it's this is the first thing I think I've done in my entire life where more than one year in, not only have I not lost interest, which typically happens with everything else, but at a year and and some change in, I'm actually more engaged and more energetic and more kind of invigorated to make this thing work than I was last year. So 
I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> there's nothing to, there's not much to say to that, is there? That, that's brilliant. He's living the dream. That that's what I want for uh, for you guys to find instead of doing some soul sucking job where you well, like I did for eighteen years. No, not eighteen years. Probably I enjoyed it for the first handful of years, but then it, you you just get the the enjoyment sucked out of it. That, that doesn't seem to be happening in the Bitcoin space. People get more and more motivated as they see the things that they are building get used. Or like, you know, our podcast gets listened to and it gets shared around. That's amazing. That's an amazing feeling. And it makes you motivated to do more. So you act again. And that's why we're on day five of the wall of content. Or when this when this drops, it might be like the 15th day in a row that we've dropped a pod. Yeah. No messing around. That's pretty impressive. (laughs) That's pretty impressive. Do you have another question for Kyle? Uh, What is your favorite thing about Bitcoin? My favorite thing about Bitcoin. Wow. That's also a tough question. Who knew I was going to be put on the spot today? Uh, My favorite thing about Bitcoin is, uh, let's say, I think my favorite thing about Bitcoin is the potential path forward for humanity that it represents. Um, where it creates a system for everyone everywhere that represents the the kind of fundamental freedoms that I think uh, America was built upon, but that people have fought for for hundreds of thousands of years as a species. I think the it it represents a tool for the best possible outcome for everyone everywhere. Uh, which is just freedom. It's everyone is given an equal opportunity to provide value. And where everyone is given an opportunity to provide value, everyone is offered an opportunity to earn value. And I think uh, that system is at a global scale, something that's never been seen before. And it just really gets me excited about the opportunities that could come from something like that. What excites people like Kyle and I, who are a lot older than you, is the difference it's going to make to your generation. You know, in 10 years' time, when you're 21, 22, the, the, the world is going to be, hopefully, a much different place to what it is right now, if we do everything right. When, think... you, when you said 21, 22, that just felt weird. Yeah, you'll make it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but you can't I stop have... time, right, Kyle? <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind things will be very different by the time you get to the R age. Um, what that looks like, I don't really know. I think that's one of the things I was hoping to get into with your dad today is that none of us have a crystal ball to say this is exactly what it's going to look like. But another thing that really excites me about Bitcoin is that in that potential opportunity, what really excites me a lot about that is that that potential opportunity can manifest in an infinite number of ways and what i think is really exciting is that the people who are participating today who are building it out before everyone uses it before we've kind of hit the tipping point in that paradigm shift is that the people who are participating in getting it there get to have a lot of input in what that future looks like and i've talked with a lot of bitcoiners around the world and a lot of us have very similar ideals we don't always agree on the ideas, but we align much of the time on the ideals. And that makes working through our differences in ideas a lot easier. 
Uh, and it's really exciting because the ideal sets that a lot of Bitcoiners kind of tend to align around, uh, again, I think that path forward that we all see is is a beautiful path forward for for the youth and and even for us as we kind of push into our older years. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this thing goes. And not only am I excited to see where it goes, but I'm honored to be able to walk that path with people like your dad and, and all of these other cool Bitcoin builders that I, I spend so much time with these days. Very cool. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for coming down. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Right. There's, there's so much to talk about, but first of all, we want to talk about, um, let, let, let's go straight to Pleb Lab. What is Pleb Lab and what you're trying to achieve? And then I think I'm going to try and take you back in time and figure out you know, what was going on in the past and, and what ultimately led you to the rabbit hole. Sure. So uh, as I said earlier, Pleb Lab is, uh, it's an accelerator program for people working on building Bitcoin and with a, a kind of like a heavy lean towards lightning. Uh, our belief is that we've kind of entered into or are, are definitely beginning to enter into um, the era of the kind of application, the web app that's starting to get built on top of what has been built up until now, which has heavily been focused on the Bitcoin like infrastructure. Um, our belief is that at 13 years, the the kind of infrastructure has scaled to a point where it would it would be very difficult to shut it off or or kind of break it down. So with that in mind, um, our belief at Pleb Lab is that really like the next kind of exponential leap forward in the use cases and the growth of the adoption of the network is through building out that web application that kind of makes the network more accessible to more people. Uh, the internet was a really powerful idea in 1987, 1988, but it pre-email, pre-AOL, like people were not interacting with it. And therefore it's, it's kind of actual power was somewhat limited versus what its potential could be. And I think we're kind of really right there with Bitcoin as an ecosystem is that we're really kind of pre-email. We are not yet at a thing where enough people are able to access that network easily uh, without even kind of thinking about it. You need to get to a point where TCP IP, while not understood, is so easy to interact with through the applications that get built on top of it that everyone starts to do so. And that's really where Pleb Lab kind of sits right now. It's like our focus is trying to build out the email, the AOL, the, the companies that are building applications on top of the network that get more people around the world to actually interact with without even really understanding perhaps that they're interacting with. Right. So this isn't just limited to the, the next wallet of Satoshi or Moon Wallet. This is absolutely anything at all that can be used and enabled on the Lightning Network via the internet. Yeah, I think a, a perfect example of a company we've worked with already uh, that kind of points towards the, the idea set would be Stacker News, uh, like a value for value, almost social media, somewhat news kind of site where people are interacting with one another. Uh, people are, are placing things of value and interacting with things of value. 
and with one another over the network. Stacker News. Okay. Stacker I've, News. I've not seen it, not used it, not heard of it. Talk me through it. Whoa. I think you might be one of the only people I know who doesn't know Stacker News. <laughs> uh, I mean, the easiest way to sum it up is uh, the line from his pitch deck. It's like Reddit, but with Bitcoin. Uh, and the way that you kind of interact with the site is that like when you post content, it costs Satoshis. When you like content, it costs Satoshis. When you like upvote, it costs Satoshis. So it's like microtransactions on top of this like social news site. Um, and what's really cool with what we're seeing, at least in the early stages of Stacker News, is that it actually creates like a really high signal platform because trolls and kind of like low value content doesn't really get any kind of value that flows to it because people don't want to pay uh to interact with nonsensical content so it's it's a really interesting kind of early step into this whole kind of like value for value model that i was explaining to your daughter where mm -hmm. um people who provide value earn value and and that's like what stacker news is doing across kind of like a social platform is like the people who are providing the most value are earning the most value. I right, I see it now, uh, and I, this reminds me of, uh, you you remember Dan Larimer and his um Steemit site? No. All right, so that that was um shitcoiny times. Um, sure, it should have been shitcoiny times. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great a great website for it. A newspaper spin on it. But basically, the same kind of idea, you would post stuff and you would get, like Product Hunt, you would get upvoted and whatever else, and you could earn Steam tokens. And then with those Steam tokens, you could then, you know, trade them for other shit. But this is, like you say, I mean, looking at it, it looks like Reddit. And it, you know, it kind of points at Sailor's idea of, um, you know, posting some kind of collateral, you know, you're not just going to spam. It cuts out the spam, which goes back to Adam uh, Adam Back's hash cash idea. Uh, so bringing all of that together it makes a lot of fucking sense to me, mate. I'm going to have to check this out. Yeah, Sacra News is great. And I mean, that's just one example of kind of what we're aimed at here. But uh, things like that, it's, it's kind of a good example of like what we believe is where we're moving in this space where it's like the the kind of node management and the liquidity providers there's still tons of room for those things to exist uh in number and uh i think a ton of room for them to scale in size but it's kind of our belief that a lot of those infrastructure companies scale in size when that application layer begins to get built on top of it all right. Okay. Now, give us another one. This is fun. What what else have you got? You know, up up the sleeve there at Player Lab. Hmm. How about I? Well, we got a couple of really interesting other projects here. Um, let's come back to that in just a moment, and let's just point to something else that happened today in the space at large yeah. that I think points to this kind of same idea that we have here at Pleb Lab which is the Jack funding Noster. Go ahead. H have you seen the news? I have not seen the news. Uh, okay. So are you familiar with Noster? That is kind of the, it was supposed to be the, the next Twitter, right? It, was that the idea of it? 
So I, as far as I'm aware, and again, I might butcher this a little bit, but Noster is a network. It's a protocol. And social networks, among other things, are being built on top of that kind of protocol. Um, and it's a very decentralized kind of like relay oriented system, very similar to Bitcoin. Uh, it was created by Fiat Joff. Uh, things that have been built on top of it are Enigma, which is like a decentralized signal uh, telegram-like thing um, built on top of Noster. Um, ben Ark has done some work on top of it. There's, uh, and then, uh, yeah, so there's a bunch of different kind of social platforms and other things. It's outlined in Fiat Joff's kind of uh, deck, if you will, that was sent to Jack. It received 14 Bitcoin, I believe, huh. today. Um, to kind of help grow out and scale out Noster, which is like an, an open protocol for building kind of social applications on top of. Okay. So another, another kind of example of just like what's happening in the space where this idea of the application era uh, is really kind of starting to take hold. Is that directly from Jack or is that from his fund? Do you, do you know? I don't actually. Huh. Because I know the it'd be interesting if it's directly from Jack because then the fund is still from what I remember, I haven't spoken with Obi and Abu Bakr that are on, on the, uh, the board there that they're just literally looking for devs to, to help and support devs rather than um, projects. So Jack, man. Well, so, so this is what's really interesting is that it could be either one of them because Fiat Joff built the, the kind of the, the network, which is Noster, the protocol, um, and then in his deck that he sent to Jack, a bit, a basically the way that I saw it outlined with a quick scan is that he kind of wrote out all of these different devs that had individually contributed kind of things that got built on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, and he had like outlined how much he was going to kind of align some of the funds for those people. He had different funds kind of segregated off for like pool requests for other new things that were being built on top of it. Um, so it was like one guy who built a kind of like a protocol and the funds are almost being invested into a bunch of different single developers who have done a lot of work on top of that protocol. There's no stopping it. 14 Bitcoin. No. Just got funded. <laughs> just from looking yep. at a, a deck. I, and it's interesting because they kind of had like a little bit of a back and forth. And I saw somebody tweet, it's so easy to do funding. Yeah, I, I, I found basically it, replied. He's like, yep. It's all on done on WhatsApp from what I can see. Which uh, crazy. <laughs> that's a, in a sly roundabout way, huh? Man. Okay. Uh, so yeah, one more then from Pleb Lab, um, just to uh, give give everybody a kind of taste of the, the stuff that's uh, that's being built there. Uh, how about I just give you a kind of like a quick rundown of a couple of them, and then you yep. can just randomly select one you want to talk about. So some of the companies we're working with currently, uh, we have Lightning Escrow, we have uh, Zaprite, we are working with, uh, so we, we have Oshi, and then there is uh, a, one other company that we've kind of only recently started working with in the like official cohort model, if you will. But uh, it's too early to kind of release information on on that particular project, so that one has to stay under wraps for a while. So Oshi's interesting because that's where you're based, right? Yeah, um, you guys are at the 
Are you at the Bitcoin Commons or are you just downtown in Austin? No, that's uh, it's it's a relatively large misconception that happens quite regularly. Uh, same city, uh, different different space, different group of people. So um, when we started the Austin Bitcoin Club uh, roughly 18 or 19 months ago, um, Unchained Capital was still in their original building, at least I don't know if it's like the original, original building, but it was the building they were in when I moved to Austin. Uh, it was big enough to hold their like 12 employees and uh, they tore it down every third Thursday for bit devs. Pleb Lab kind of spawned from Austin Bitcoin Club where we really started, we got a 10 person office space and really started focusing on the builders who came to Austin because of um, the bit devs kind of unchained capital signal that had been pumped out to builders like we're open for business, come join us. Um, but it left a lot of the builders who arrived with this kind of question of like, okay, we're here, what next? And uh, Pleb Lab's mission was kind of in the very early days was just to help answer that question. Like what's next? Like what's next is like, let's get some of these bright people together and see what happens when like young entrepreneurial people and kind of like visionary builders, like get together in a room on a regular basis. Uh, so Pleb Lab launched, we kind of started doing that thesis uh, eventually we've had, we had some back and forth with the, uh, our friends over at Unchained Capital. They moved into their new space and they kind of simultaneously launched their kind of like cooperative kind of co-working space called the Commons. Uh, Bitcoin Commons is really currently like Austin's event space. So Austin Bitcoin Club is hosted there. Lit Devs is hosted there. Uh, Bit Devs is still hosted there. Um, they basically have almost every week, uh, they have another meetup that sees like 150, 200 people in a room gathering around events. Um, but we have actually expanded beyond our original 200 square foot space to our own office, same street as uh, as the commons, but six blocks to the east. Um, and yeah, we are less event focused and more just kind of like builder focused, like uh, our Space is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you're looking to build something on Bitcoin and you're looking to do it surrounded by other smart builders, there are people here pretty much all day, every day. I mean, it kind of ebbs and flows with like what time people like to be here. We got some early birds. We've got some people that don't come in till two, three in the afternoon and they work till two, three in the morning. Um, but yeah, 24 hour a day, seven day a week access to just sitting in a room with a bunch of smart people building cool stuff. Man, and just the meetups sound the best. Uh, just going and hanging out with Bitcoiners is what we are also sorely missing in life or have done for however long you've been down the rabbit hole, right? That that, that initial period is lonely as fuck when you sure. are the only dude that within your family or within your friend circle that has read a book, at least just one book, and now you're like, guys, I've gotten, you can't speak fast enough. You can't get your thoughts, but you're shunned. And this sure. is, this is something we've all felt and a shameless plug for orange pill app at this point, which if you've not, if you've not met Matteo uh, from orange pill app, I'll have to connect you guys because there's such great synergy there where you can now join this app, which is lightning enabled. You can pay the monthly fee because you know, like Something's free. You're the product. We don't want any of that bullshit in the Bitcoin space. We want signal, not noise. And we want plebs, not shitcoiners. 
because we're building right. our own our own personal networks alongside our own monetary network. It's it's such an incredible time uh, and redefining your life. Um, so yeah, here we are. I think well there's, done. I think there's one thing I want to kind of throw on top of that that we were actually just talking about this morning is that it's great to if you're in an area where you are that like one guy and you you haven't really met a community yet, I think the a great first step is to start start your meetup, start your Bitcoin club, like get Bitcoiners together. I would say for cities like Austin, for cities like Nashville, for for cities like Atlanta, where these like meetups and these get together already exist in, in Orange County, California, where these people are kind of together on a regular basis. I think the next step, it's, it's important that we actually kind of do more than that. Uh, it's one thing to get together once a month and like have beers at a bar and just like talk about it. But but like, I think for the places that have kind of already established that have been doing it for six months, a year, the next step is to really take it and hit the ground running, spreading that further into the community. Like how much time can you spend sitting around talking about it? I know it's great. We all believe this thing is the future, but like once a month where like 12 of us or 60 of us or 150 of us just sit around and just pat each other on the back for the fact that we're all into Bitcoin. Like, that's great. But let's come back to the same question that kind of started Plub Lab. What's next, mm -hmm. right? Like what's next isn't to just keep sitting in a room together with our 60 friends. It's to go out and try and onboard another 60 people to that meetup, to that, that club, right? Like, get out there and, and make flyers that you just like leave at your favorite coffee shops and at the library, go out and do something as a group, right? Take that organized power and start to influence change. And that's going to bring us nicely onto education because that's basically what you're trying to do, right? Within your community. Um, what's the best practice? Like three or four of you going to a coffee shop and ordering a bunch of coffee and pastries, whatever it is, and then asking, just asking, do you accept Bitcoin is step number one. And then going back the next week and then tipping in Bitcoin and then going back the next week and asking again, can we pay you this time? Uh, there's no best practice, obviously, but it's you're right. You know, action breeds motivation, which breeds more action. I think a couple of things there, I think, some cool projects that I know of that I think are going to influence the kind of onboarding of your small local businesses in ways that are, are new, but are going to be really powerful. Um, and then two, just on a personal like thing, I've actually found that when I'm asking people if they accept Bitcoin, I've actually stopped asking if they accept Bitcoin. And I've framed it just slightly differently where I say, do you want dollars or Bitcoin? Because the, do you accept it? If it's a no, it's so easy for them to be like, no, we don't. And mm -hmm. they just move right on, right? But if you ask them, do you want dollars or Bitcoin? There's no easy answer there. They have to actually kind of stop and process that question for a moment. And it's like, which one do I want? Do I, do I, wait up? Like, why are you asking me if I want Bitcoin? And it kind of reframes the question in a way where they actually have to sit with it and think about it for a second. Even if they eventually say no still, there's more thought process engaging in the person's firing across those synapses in the brain versus like, do you accept Bitcoin? No. You know what I mean? Yeah. So simple little things like that in the educational, it's, 
it's not these huge changes that are going to happen that like really make a huge difference. It's tiny little changes all over the place that kind of compound on top of one another. And an anecdotal story from today, I was at lunch with another Bitcoin friend. We're an hour apart, but we, we make it work. Um, and we the, the restaurant we went to, I was there last year, a year ago. I asked the guy if he accepted Bitcoin. Today, I did the same thing, went up to pay. Can I pay in Bitcoin yet? He's like, no, still not. Like, you do remember me though, right? He's like, yes, I remember you very well. I'm like, that's one year ago. You do realize. He's like, yeah. So I said, am I the only guy that's ever asked you in that year? Yes, you are. So I paid the bill and it was perfect because his card reader went down. So we had to wait 20 minutes for the whole freaking thing to happen, right? He's waiting for his 270 euros. And uh, in the meantime, I said, well, if you're not going to accept Bitcoin, I can at least tip you in Bitcoin, can't I? Well, how would you do that? Like, right, phone out, moon wallet, bam. That was done in under two minutes. The card reader, I said, you, you see where we're going? So they do remember. They do remember when people ask, when you plant that seed, it really must make something flash in their minds. Yeah, I think the the biggest challenge I see with this whole kind of like scenario with like the onboarding process, if you will, is that like the the everyday individual user is is significantly easier. Like getting a tip onto a moon wallet on a phone is really easy. The the application for kind of onboarding businesses uh significantly more challenging, right? Like mm. most owners if they're really looking at kind of starting a whole new like monetary instrument to start taking bitcoin payments at their restaurant like how are they how are they tracking that like what kind of uh payroll and accounting like all of these extra things need to exist um even if theoretically the person who goes in to use bitcoin at that establishment but might be like less than one percent and I think that's the other big challenge is that I think in my opinion, we're we're going to need to see a way to onboard more users ready to actually use Bitcoin as a monetary instrument before we're really going to start onboarding kind of successfully these mom and pop businesses. Because what is the incentive if I like, I spend the time, even if it's only a couple of minutes, I spend the time. I learn how it works. I get like a like an IBEX POS system or a, an open node POS system. And then for the next year, one person comes in and spends Bitcoin at my establishment. Like I have no incentive to like teach my employees about it. Like there's so much there for so little reward. I think the first step is going to be getting more Bitcoiners onto the thesis of like, you can spend this. We, we've gone through the era of like, it's a store of value. Uh, I think it's interesting because there's this narrative that um, it's a store of value and there's some fight or pushback with wanting to spend it, but I don't think they necessarily have to be like one or the other or kind of like at odds with each other, right? If it's a good store of value, that's a piece of the puzzle that's a stepping stone towards it becoming an asset that you actually spend. But again, to grow out the value, that whole idea of like, it's a store of value. What makes it a store of value? What makes it a good store of value is that it's got that stability. One equals one. And there's a total 21 million supply cap. 
because of that stability, more and more people will find that stability attractive. But it's the more and more people finding that stability attractive that gives you that kind of upward trajectory of the like the purchasing power of Bitcoin, which makes it challenging for people to want to spend it. They have their Bitcoin and they're like, oh, this is going to be more valuable in the future. Why would I spend it? That's good. It's great for the economy to start building out that that system of savings. But the economy doesn't work if people don't actually spend, right? So like this idea that we're just going to save the Bitcoin and spend the fiat, if we keep doing that, it'll be a much longer time frame, in my opinion, before we get to hyper-Bitcoinization, as people call it. Because we'll just keep using fiat and we'll use it until it literally collapses, which as much as I wish that was like next week, these guys are pretty good at drawing out the pain, man. The average person is not ready to accept that the U.S. government isn't going to be around for another 150, 200 years guiding the influence of the dollar. Yeah. Well, it, it, and on the other side of things, right, That that's just pleb work. Um, your day-to-day -day kind of conversations with, with merchants and whatever – building what, what you're doing at Pleb Labs, right? And I think you've got an initiative, an education initiative there as well to help devs, to attract devs, to to build these services. Because if we get this influx of services that makes it so much easier for us to interact, how do you how do you go around, um, you know, dealing with the education side of bringing devs up to speed or helping them find the people they need to? What, what's, the, what's the kind of ethos? Sure. So I, I think... I think one, it's important to note that a lot of what we, I, I think, we think here at Pleb Lab, like needs to happen as far as the education is not just teaching people the technicals. It is kind of teaching the ethos. It's actually uh, a cultural education that needs to happen to really expand out the desire to get into that technical understanding, right? Because we are competing, like it or not, still to this day with a whole bunch of shitcoinery. We're still competing with fiat. There is all of these other systems that exact and interact with each other at the exact same time. And there's huge incentives to go work financially in these other ecosystems. So it's an imperative that we get cultural understanding of like why Bitcoin is important and that not only is it important, but there are actually cool people over here doing cool things. Like th that's why Pleb Labs really like our, our brand, if you will, for the first year of our existence was me with my shirt off, like jacked up nipples out at, at Miami conference and like just running down the street with the Bitcoin flag, yelling at people in their cars, being kind of crazy. It was like, Hey, the idea of that messaging was like, you can build real shit. You can build valuable things and not take yourself too seriously. Um, I think a lot of what I saw in my first 18 months, if you will, kind of getting into the space. So a lot of companies in Bitcoin, a lot of people in Bitcoin are really doom and gloom, which blew my mind because every time I was around Bitcoiners, I was having a great time. My experience in Bitcoin was pretty much a great time. I saw all of this path forward to this great time. And yet everywhere I looked, from the people building in the space, it was like, if you don't do this, you're going to have a bad time. If you do this, you're going to have a bad time. This thing, bad time. It was all this doom and gloom marketing. And it didn't make any sense to me. I was like, look, I get it. 
we need more privacy in Bitcoin. Look, I get it. We need more security in Bitcoin. But how do you get these things? Well, you get those things by getting more people focused on building those things. And in my mind, a great way to do that was to actually attract builders to the space, not scare them away with doom and gloom, while simultaneously, they've got an option over here to be a mediocre dev building something on Ethereum, making a million dollars a year. That that is That's going to be a tough sell, man. So where can we win in that fight? I think we can win in that fight in the cultural fight. Because the culture, the ethos, the people building in Bitcoin, when you get around them, you want to get further in. So that's kind of, I would say, the first half of what Bitcoin at Pleb Labs education has been. It's like this cultural understanding, uh, this cultural deepening. After that, it just comes back to the idea of like, we're in the application era. So how can we show people that you can now do all of the like move fast and break things on Bitcoin. If you want to try and experiment with fun ideas on Bitcoin, you can do that because we have this layer two that poses no threat to layer one and you can move fast and break things. You can experiment with fun new things. And that's what we're trying to kind of get people technically educated on. Um, I don't know if you saw the launch of the Pleb Dev course. But that was kind of like our foray into getting people up to speed with like, hey, you're curious. You know that you can build on Bitcoin. Maybe you're somewhat entrepreneurial. Maybe you just want to tinker. This is the kind of basic computer writing skills. And at the end, here's a focus on like, take the skills and build something on the Bitcoin network. I did not see that. So shill it. How can people learn more about it? Sure. So it's... Probably the easiest way to find the link would just be on the Pleb Lab Twitter, but it's currently hosted on Udemy. Uh, it's $24.99, so $775 and a penny less than some Bitcoin educational courses in the space. <laughs> um, it's it's six hours of content that'll take you from here are some of the basic like languages for programming all the way through you have built your first Bitcoin Lightning wallet. All right. And how do we get into mainstream education? That's got to be... I, I, many people that listen to this show believe, well, know that I believe, you know, state education just needs shutting down. But here we are. Um, it's going to be around for many more decades, unfortunately. But how do we get that Trojan horse into universities, high schools, yeah, it's a great question with no real singular answer. Um, I think step one is just go out and make connections. Um, talk to students. Um, many of us are parents. Many of us are, I mean, this great number of people in the space who are literally in college. Um, but I think this really comes back to the idea that I touched on earlier, where it's like, it's great that we're getting together. It's great that we're talking about all of these things that need to get done, but how can we do more? And a, as far as getting into the educational system, at least for what worked for us here, it was just networking. It was going out and meeting people. The Again, we have gotten blessed with uh, the kind of community really taking root here during the early days of the pandemic. So 
hundreds and hundreds of people showing up to these meetups kind of draws some small percentage of outsiders. Um, I got connected to a young kid who came to an Austin Bitcoin club meetup and suggested that I should talk to the head of the engineering department at UT. That conversation led to us actually helping to facilitate the reintroduction of a Bitcoin only engineering class at UT Austin. Um, that first semester just ended or is maybe ending this weekend. Um, we'll find out soon whether or not the students grade it with a, a successful check mark. It needs to get good or better to, to stick around for another semester next semester. It's currently here in Austin. It's at UT. It's only for post-grad students, but we're also kind of finding the people we need to work with to facilitate the launch pushing into an undergrad uh, Bitcoin only class. But really, it all just stems back to go make the connections. If you have a university in your town, it really shouldn't take that much effort to find someone at the school you can talk to. Go like Just go to the engineering department and walk into a class, start talking to a random professor, tell them who you are, what you're trying to do, and just try and find the people that you need to find. Go and talk to them, shake their hands, say hello, look them in the eyes, tell them what you want to do and find out if there's any interest because nothing will happen if we don't at least try. It'll be pretty funny actually, won't it? For those people that do start attending the Bitcoin course, they'll probably last about a semester and they see through the fiat system, they see through fiat education and they jump out completely and just go and build their own project um, because why hang around and waste another three and a half years trying to chase some four-year degree? which unfortunately means the colleges will drop the Bitcoin course because they're losing the student. Maybe. I, I mean, I don't argue the fact that that could potentially happen. I would say it would probably take some real time before they would be able to piece together that the reason students are leaving. Would it really skew the numbers higher than standard dropout numbers anyways? Because there's a huge number of students that, that drop out of college on a very regular basis as is. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if the numbers would meaningfully increase, but ultimately I agree with you. I think the, the notion that we can just like magically like snap our fingers, like we're wearing some kind of infinity gauntlet glove and just like live in a different reality is not reality. We have to build all of the things that replace the broken system from within the broken system, like it or not, like like it or not, we still live mostly in a fiat standard surrounded by mostly people in a fiat standard. How do you introduce the changes necessary to get to a Bitcoin standard inside of that fiat standard? I think the education system's broken. I think the healthcare standard's broken. I think all of the institutions are broken, but we can build the things on the outside that replace them while simultaneously sending in that Trojan horse that starts to send more people over to that system that you're building on the side. And I think to just ignore it uh, is a missed opportunity because most people are still in those systems. It's like taking the red pill and going into the, the real world for the first time and then being like, well, there's no reason to go back into the matrix and try and save anybody else. It's like, I'm out here all by myself, might as well do my thing we got to get more people out. And the best way to do that is to go back in 
with the information that helps them understand there's another system that actually works better than the one they use currently. So let's rewind. What what was going on in your life before Bitcoin? Hmm. Great question. Um, so, okay. I think the best place to start, I've started here before. I think the best place to start is uh, my military past. So in 2008, I left home as an 18 year old kid and I joined the U S army. Uh, I spent four years as a U.S. Army combat medic. I did a year in Afghanistan. Um, I came back, and I spent four years after that really fucked up. Like, really, really fucked up. I was a raging alcoholic, roid raging, just, like, mentally and physically abusive monster. Like, I treated everyone in my life like garbage because I was treating myself like garbage, I spent several years trying to just stuff what I had done, what I had thought, who I had been in a box. I tried to bury it and pretend that none of it had ever happened. Uh, and that wasn't working. It was festering. It was getting worse. I was literally killing myself slowly. At 25 years old, I couldn't physically walk up the steps without like pulling myself up the railing. I couldn't throw a tennis ball for my dog because I couldn't plant pressure on my right knee. Um, I had had surgery a couple of times, had been in and out of physical therapy. I had a blood pressure of 170 over 92, which is like stage two hypertension. I was like, I went to sleep often, like thinking to myself, boy, I hope I don't die in my sleep tonight. And then like waking up the next day. And just repeating the exact same behavior that kind of led me to that place in the first place. In 2016, I kind of hit rock bottom. Um, it was the umpteenth time I had kind of had thoughts of suicide. And I had just recently been introduced to Joe Rogan's podcast uh, and had been listening to his take on like, hey, standard society's kind of options aren't maybe working out for you. Who's to say that the things they tell you you shouldn't do or that you can't do might actually be good options for you. Uh, he talked about how difficult yoga was and how beneficial it was. He talked a lot about psychedelics, sensory deprivation tanks, and I just decided to try them all. Uh, I jumped into a 30 day like pass for a yoga studio and quickly yoga saved my life. Uh, I realized within a handful of weeks that there was something profound happening in the yoga studio. I decided to go through yoga teacher training in late 2016. Uh, and by the time I finished that class, I had actually started to make real strides towards like finding peace for my past. I had started to kind of find acceptance for the things I had done. I'd pulled all of that shit I stuffed in a box out of the ground and, and I started to look at it. And it was actually while going through yoga teacher training that I was introduced to Bitcoin for the first time. So I was in this training with a young kid named Logan. Uh, he introduced me to this magic internet money that was being used on the dark web. I heard about 10 minutes and I thought to myself, huh, that's interesting. And that was about all I did with it. But the four years that followed from that introduction through the crash of 2020, 
I kind of went on a spiritual walkabout. Uh, in 2017, I put my life into uh, a tiny little Ford F-350 van, built a bed frame, threw a bed on top of it, built a bookshelf, put some books on it, took my dog, and I drove to California. And for the next four years, I kind of walked about. I, I was all across the U.S. I bought a one-way ticket to Africa and did a year backpacking around the world. And everywhere I went, I would find some random person who would have a conversation with me about Bitcoin stemming from two to maybe seven hours. It's a professor at the school in San Francisco. It's the hostel owner of a, of a hostel in Croatia. It's a business major on a backpacking holiday on the front steps of a hostel in Romania. And all of these little puzzle pieces of like what Bitcoin is and my own understanding of it kept getting pieced together. Until the crash of 2020, I watched all of my friends doing the, the craziest shit with money. I mean, they took their entire like nest egg, $40,000 like of life savings and like were day trading it on fidelity. And I'm like, whoa, this is actually crazy. Like, what are you doing? And I started telling people, guys, like these were my close friends. I was like, guys, I don't, I don't know everything there is to know about this thing. But I think I've learned enough to know that this is the exact moment that it was built for. Like, you should buy some Bitcoin. And shortly after I started telling everybody that, I myself bought a little bit. Uh, and it was roughly six months, seven months after that, that I had kind of moved 100% of my net worth into Bitcoin. And I had this kind of like moment where I was like, okay, I'm all in but I don't feel like I'm in enough. What am I supposed to do now? And I only saw two options. It was like leverage and gamble or try and find a way to add value to the ecosystem. And as you can kind of see, the rest is really kind of history after that. I, I chose the latter. <laughs> and Pleb Lab became a thing. Man, what a story. Um, hmm. 2008, you joined the military. Yes, still deeply in conflict. I mean, trailing towards the tail end of it, I guess, but still pretty deep in conflict in Afghanistan. What? Oh, what made you? What? Why? What? What? Eighteen years of age. Um, yeah, great question. Same answer that so many in the military find themselves there. I kind of hit a younger version of rock bottom at 18 years old i was in no i like i come from like a, a single mother home that like had a lot of early youth troubles i was uh kind of put through some things early in life that forced me if you will into kind of like a rebel nature and i made a lot of really poor choices and like paths forward were like jail death uh, just not, there were like no real good paths forward that I kind of saw in front of me. And one day in the drive-thru of a McDonald's, literally sitting at the second window, like waiting on my cheeseburger, there's a cop behind me with his lights and siren on, like in the drive-thru. And I just had that kind of internal monologue come back again. And, and just like when I was like, go do something different that led me to yoga at 18 years old, I had the same voice. It was like, just do something different, like anything. This thing you're doing now isn't working. Try something different. 
Uh, my mom had been army uh, and I just talked to a recruiter. Like after that day, I realized like I, I'm literally getting pulled over in the drive-thru of McDonald's. Like I got to do something different. <laughs> and I talked to a recruiter who was ready to eliminate my criminal record, give me like a huge sign on bonus and was like ready to kind of like give me an education that seemed like it might be relevant in the civilian world when I finished my time in the military. So I signed away my life for four years and I went to try and better myself. Ultimately it worked. I mean, I take away a lot of really, really, really valuable life lessons from my time in the military. It's just interesting how long it took to kind of actually gain the valuable skills that I learned because I had to process through actually getting even more broken for four years after I got out. It's like, it, it, yeah. So I like, I went from broken to even more broken. Luckily I'm one of the rare people that actually found some kind of opportunity to kind of work through that broken nature. And, and on the other side, I, I really started to kind of learn and take away some of the things that have benefited me over the years, including from the military and Bitcoin. Man, it just makes you realize, doesn't it, what a ripe hunting ground those military recruiters have at the moment with society where it's at. Because if they can dangle the carrot of one money, you know, we can help you clear some debts, or two, we'll clear any criminal charges. They've got the power to dangle that over kids that uh, no wonder yep. so many people just end up in that. And it, cannon fodder right at the end of the and day they're, and they're young they're young they're still really really impressionable it's the perfect audience i mean if you're looking to get somebody that you can turn into a soldier who better than an 18 year old kid i mean there isn't anybody better than an 18 year old kid they're just at that perfect age where they're so susceptible to molding um and yeah with the kind of power and influence they have to kind of the incentive model is so powerful for an 18 year old kid who finds no real path forward. And it's an overwhelming, it's an overwhelming portion of people in the military are young kids who come from troubled homes with gang violence as their path forward. So, and, and a whole uh, state education career of being nationalized every single day, stand up, pledge allegiance to the flag and the mainstream media telling you, how uh, you know team america um is saving the world and rah 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 it's um and then recruitment films such as top gun sure. hit every other year or every year um depending on um obviously not top gun every year but certain movies such as that it's so easy for them why why yeah, medic and then why medic what what the... made you go that route i they're nothing really in particular. It just kind of like uh, it was sold to me. I So a lot of the way that that structure works is like you take your aptitude tests mm -hmm. and based on your aptitude tests, they kind of funnel you where the military kind of most needs you. They'll give you your options pool, but they really try to funnel you where, where the military needs you. And my aptitude tests, I could, I could have applied for any job in the army. So it was really just like, what do you want to do? And then it was like, well, hey, here's this job with a good signing bonus. 
And let me show you this video where we'll show a guy in some scrubs and he's like working in a clinic and it's all about being a doctor and your life-saving skills and this fun career as a, as a healthcare specialist is literally the title of the role of the job. It's 68 Whiskey is the identifier. The title is healthcare specialist. They show you this couple minute video like doctor in scrubs, doctor in scrubs, doctor in scrubs, quick flash of a guy with some guns in a military uniform, doctor in scrubs, doctor in scrubs. Yeah, that sounds great. $6,000 for a signed on bonus for the job. You're going to pay me another $10,000 to leave within 30 days. That's almost a $20,000 signing bonus for a kid who's poor and in a lot of trouble. Plus, you're going to get rid of my criminal record. I'm in. And then it was at basic training where our, our, our drill sergeants are like asking about uh, what you're going to do. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a healthcare specialist. And he's like, oh, a combat medic. And I was like, no, healthcare specialist. He's like 68 whiskey. Yeah. He's like, that's a combat medic. He's like, they call it healthcare specialist because then we couldn't get women to do the job. So like a lot of women work on the bases. They don't do like the combat forward role, but if they titled it combat, then women wouldn't be able to do the job. So, or at least when I signed up, I think the military's changed a little bit. So, Oh my goodness. So what's that training look like? <laughs> Where do I begin? <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, first is basic training. Basic training is just the training everybody gets. So in the army, every soldier's first job is soldier. And then you have your kind of secondary job, uh, which for me was medic. So you go through basic training. It's like 10 weeks of just like, they absolutely demolish your sleep. They they don't feed you properly. They put you through intense physical training uh, on top of the sleep deprivation and the food deprivation. Um, they're all in your face. They kind of like force you to start complying through like group incentives where if like you're the guy that fucks up, everybody else is like incentivized to fuck you up even more. You finish that, you go to what's called AIT. AIT is where you do your like secondary job training. So for me, that was medic training. Um, really more of the same kind of like screwed up sleep schedule, lots of time in the classroom, followed by lots of time of like practical application of the job skills. Um, and then I went to my base after uh, like eight months of like training uh, I end up at my actual military unit and I thought to myself, I was like, okay, great. I'm finally at my actual job. Like I'm going to get to kind of be an adult and they're going to lay off me a little bit. What I didn't realize was that where I got stationed, uh, the 101st Airborne, Fort Campbell, Kentucky was one of the two most deployed units in the entire military. So I got there and met like these my leadership is like this grizzled, like hardcore combat veterans who were like significantly more intense than any of the training I had done leading up to my actual job. So like a day in the life of a combat medic at my unit would be like in at the office at like five o'clock in the morning, you're going to go and do like a 12 mile run in the snow in like shorts and a t-shirt you're going to get back, go get breakfast. You come back to the office and somebody who's kind of been at the unit for a while is like laying on the floor in what looks like a mock-up casualty thing. And they just start screaming at you to treat the patient and you're doing all of these things and they want you to do an EJ stick where I got to stick a needle this big in some guy's neck. 
And uh, they're like throwing my bags across the room. They got me running circles around the building, getting yelled at in every corner of the building, having people like do different exercises. It's just like nonstop. Like basically the best way to describe it, uh, I had an NCO once tell me, he said, I'm going to treat you so harshly here that by the time you get to Afghanistan, when bombs are going off behind you and bullets are whizzing by pinging off the truck behind you, it'll just be muscle memory. You'll be so unfazed by the intensity of that situation that you'll just do exactly what you're supposed to do. Holy shit. And you, you, you do that for four years. Preston was in the 101st, right? I'm not sure. I knew he was military. I'm a, not sure what unit Apache. he was in, to be honest. Yeah, he was. Absolutely okay. sure. Yeah. yeah, airborne and uh, Apache pilot and served in, uh, I think he did two two tours in uh, in Afghanistan. So you guys may have even crossed. Crazy. So, awesome. all right, you you then get deployed. It's a big base. <laughs> yeah, and lots of different um, squads, obviously. Uh, units, whatever you call them. Deployment. That's got to be a day when you get... I mean, how was that announced to you? Uh, they just tell you at work one day. <laughs> your leadership comes out with a piece of paper and says hey guess what we're going to war <laughs> here's where we're going here's what we kind of know about it and, oh, and then you just what, what year was this for you get even more intense this wouldn't been for me when we announced we were going would have been uh like late 2009 okay now i'm trying to get my timelines all correct here um when was the like the weapons of mass destruction kind of uh so the whole thing narrative. kicked off a decade before that probably you get there what, just what, shy what? of a decade before that right okay so you you get there what's happening so i mean how can i sum up deployment so we had what we'll call a detached unit of like a small group of people that kind of went forward of the rest of the unit. It's typically like leadership and some of their kind of like next in command, like right-hand people to go like meet with the outgoing group to get the insight and the intel and like go on missions with them to kind of learn how the operations go. On our way to Afghanistan, we like went from America to our first kind of like base and it was at that base, not even fully deployed to Afghanistan yet, that we found out some of that leadership had been killed in an RPG attack where we were heading. So, like, it's not even day one and people in our unit are already dead, which is kind of, like, intense. It's pretty freaking scary. Um, but this is this is how it goes. And so we get put on a blackout. There's like no phones, no access to the internet. They they shut down everybody in that unit's ability to speak with people in the outside world. Um, the military always does their best to communicate the deaths to family members through like proper channels so that like mom doesn't find out from Facebook that her son is dead. Um so kind of like first experience of like what's going to be the year ahead is that like we're not even there yet and people are dead. Um, the course of the year, we lost 11. Um, 
So yeah, it was a really, really long year. I mean, I went from like terrified of the first message to by the time I left Afghanistan, I was actually just angry every time I found out somebody was dead because it was like, great, I'm going to spend another day at a funeral ceremony outside all day long in the sweltering heat. Like, I, d I don't want to do that. Just leave me alone. I get it. People die. Um, so it was it was a pretty intense transformation. Um, and I had a friend tell me before I left for Afghanistan, he said, this like training we're going to go do for a month in Louisiana. He's like, it's intense. He's like, it's probably an almost every way worse than Afghanistan. The one thing they cannot train you for is the death of a friend. He's like, it doesn't matter how much training you go through. Nothing prepares you for the day a friend dies. Um, and he was right. It's fucking hard, but it's also kind of the last piece of the puzzle for that kind of molding that we talked about earlier. It's like, they can train you all day long about the enemy it becomes a hundred percent concrete that like everybody over there, who's not on this side in this uniform, speaking this language, everybody is a terrorist, women, children, babies, what level of training are they at? That mentality is really easy to fully adapt. As soon as someone on your side has been killed by someone over there. Jesus, man. Yeah, I can, uh, I've spoken to other people in Bitcoin that have been in the military. Andrew Howard's been on the show from, from Bitcoin Reserve, and I think he's even got a, a group. You might know each other. Um, why, why, do you think, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many people are leaving the military, uh, even heavily armed clown? You know, he, his story was you know, he, he was basically laying on the, the deck of a boat looking at the stars whilst he was uh, deployed and like, oh, my God. None of this makes sense. Yep. What What do you think? Is it because you're so close to you know the the very pinpoint of what's truly wrong with this fiat governed system? I I think yeah, a lot of it is that. I mean, when I got out in 2012, I almost immediately remember telling family members and close friends, like prepare for the revolution. It's coming. Like it's imminent. I don't know when, and I don't even know why I think that, but, but having been there and been who I was and seen what I'd seen when I got like, okay, you're done now. Just like, good luck. Go be a normal person doing normal things in normal society. I, something was broken and I had no idea what it was, but I, everything felt wrong it was just like whatever is happening right now like it doesn't make sense something has to give and it was that kind of like spiritual journey my walk about around the world where like having all of these conversations and meeting people in these different cultures around the world it became clear to me that the revolution i felt was imminent was that our value system is broken like money is our value system it's a tool that represents the exchange of value but ultimately, it's just where we store our value. And how can anything function if our value system is corrupted? Of course, the healthcare institution built on top of our value system is corrupted. The value system is corrupted. Of course, government is corrupted. It's built on top of a corrupted value system. Everything is broken because the base layer is broken. And I mean, 
for me, when I kind of discovered truly what Bitcoin was, when I bought some, put it into cold storage and really dove into what I had, it became clear to me that Bitcoin was a piece of the puzzle that represented a path forward for the most peaceful possible transition of power. Not a peaceful transition of power, but the most peaceful possible transition of power. Um, and having been to war, having seen kind of the pinnacle of human disgustingness in the system that we live in today, uh, it became almost a mission from God to blaze that path forward the best that I could. Because I, I really, I wish war upon no one. I've said it over and over again to people who in the space talk about the idea of like winning the Bitcoin war and that they're ready to go to war. And it's like, hey, man, I how about we just talk first? Because I'd much rather get around a table and like discuss our differences and try and find a peaceful path forward because war sucks, man. I don't don't recommend it. <laughs> Final message for anybody that's considering entering the military that might be listening to this. I understand why you might think about it. Um, it Listen, it did me a lot of good. I suffered for a really long time. Um, but if you're thinking about it, you, you're already thinking about how like, you need to find improvements. Do, just do a little more research. There are so many other paths forward. Um, that make like sense explore them all i mean listen man i honestly i think if the military were founded on different premises i think there's lots of valuable things to be taken away for a lot of people they could benefit from the skill sets and the soft training skills that come from the military if if i had to choose like death and gangland versus the military there is a better option between the two of them. So like, I get why people do it. I get why people will continue to do it. Um, but explore all of your options first, because there are more than one. There's always more than one. And now I've got to ask you uh, the final question. And if you had one orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why? Man, that is, I don't, I don't know if I can even answer the question. It's like such an impossible question who I actually, I don't, I can't physically give you an answer because I don't think there's any metric by which I could judge what the value add of giving that particular person the orange pill would be. Like you could give it to somebody with a hundred million Twitter followers, but like, are they going to do anything with the orange pill? I don't really know, man. And this is where ultimately so much of what we try to do at Pleb Lab is just focused on like, what can we do? I, I, my goal is not to try and find somebody who can better orange pill than me or who can spread the message better than me. It's like, I believe in it. I'm going to do everything I can every single day, because this is the only day we really have. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. So just wake up and get shit done. Go out and build something cool. Go out and spread the value of what you find valuable. 
And ultimately the idea of orange pilling the right person to really help this movement forward. The right person is you and me, man. This We're here. We're the ones doing this damn thing. So like, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep recording podcasts, keep orange pilling everybody that you can, but like determining who that one correct person is, it's, it's an impossible question. Love it, mate. That's the first time anybody's answered in, in that fashion. And there is no incorrect answer. So that's the beauty of the question in the first place. I uh, swallow it myself. I double down my efforts. Yeah. <laughs> You'd find 48 hours in a day, damn it. But yep. military style. <laughs> uh, all right. I, I was going to close it down, but um, it would. I, I think I should ask you around yoga because obviously it's been a huge part of your journey to fixing yourself. Um, and there might be a lot of people listening out there that, that might want more of an insight into, into how that started helping you. I think probably most people have dabbled, gone to the odd lesson or something. I know I have, it was all a bit of a fad when, uh, I was, uh, living in Singapore and, uh, some of the guys on the desk would say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to the hot yoga session. And you're like, okay, what's that all about? And you might, but the thing is you. You don't go in the right mindset. So you go and you think it sucks and then you never go back. What was the magic that started happening for you? Do you think you just found exactly the right time and all started clicking? Yeah, I mean, it's it's probably a bit nuanced really, but like some of it is that it was the perfect time. Um, Some of it was that it was the perfect place. Some of it was that it was the perfect people. Um, but I, I think ultimately the way that I would say that yoga helped me in in like a way that doesn't rely on finding yoga is that I just found an ability to acknowledge what was really happening in my life. Uh, right. So it doesn't have to happen on a yoga mat. It it, it can happen in a bunch of different places. It, it can happen in an infinite number of places where you just start to kind of take a real conscious look at where you are in life. Um, and I mean, I was really broken. I really didn't want to look at it. Um, the things that I've thought, the things that I've done, I was like, how could, I mean, I'm angry that my friends died. Women, children, baby, they're all terrorists. Like, fuck them all. I, I'll murder an entire race of people because they're that race of people. Like I, I didn't want to be that person, but through the time, the place, and and honestly, the people, there was this space given to me. These people looked me in the eyes. They saw my broken nature and they said, Hey man, it's okay. The past doesn't define you today. And, and this comes back to the idea of like, today is the day we have right? Like you can learn from the lessons of the past and you can be hopeful about the future, but everything happens here in this exact moment in time. And someone who basically looked me in the eyes and said, Hey, we love you anyways, was really all I needed to say, Hey, someone else can love me. And like, I can feel that it's real. These people are not judging me for the things I've done in my past. Maybe I don't need to judge me for the things I've done in my past. And really, I think that's kind of how to find that organically i don't really know but i think um anything that feels right to you again it comes back to like if you feel like something's wrong 
you're like looking for a path forward, you're already on the right path. Follow that instinct, follow the little voice in your head that says, try something different, whatever that different might be. Who cares? I don't care. I'm not going to tell you it needs to be yoga. For me, yoga worked because it was fucking hard and I needed to do something hard. I had some really difficult shit to look at. And there was something that was happening in that moment in a yoga studio where I, I hear these people talking about like, hey, it's hard, but you can breathe. And that was a mantra for me for many, many, many years as I was like working through a lot of my challenges. Like I heard it over and over and over again. Life is hard, but I can breathe. Um, and yeah, that helped me a lot. It was like, hey, I'm here. I might still have work to do, but I'm here and I can do it. And that's a blessing. Uh, so yeah, where you find it, how you find it. I don't think it's all that important that it like is in a certain place or with a certain group of people. If you're on the path of like looking for answers, just keep going. Don't give up because whatever you're looking for will find you in time. And we've heard many people talk about this before, about how once they find Bitcoin, it kind of like elevates their true self. Or at least sure. after a while, it, you know, if you stack hard enough and you take shit off your exchange and cold storage, in a cycle or two, you might be able to exit that fear existence and then find out who you truly are. Because everything else had been engineered up until that point that you can step off that hamster wheel. The education system, sure. your career, your military service, whatever it is, wasn't the true you. It was completely engineered by a completely broken value system, as you were talking about, i.e. the money, fix the money, fix the world. And then once you find sure. that that true money, you feel that change in yourself. It, 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 people new to the show, people new to Bitcoin will find this part of the conversation pretty woo-woo, but keep listening to the Bitcoiners when they talk about this because it's, it's a profound change when you pin your everything to sound money. Yeah, I think this is what's really interesting, at least with my particular story, is that like I actually found it before I found Bitcoin. And I found it through yoga. Um, but what I became awoke to was this idea that like I only have so much time. I have a limited amount of time but that that time is precious and I have it right now. So I should use it and I'm going to use it the way I want to use it. Now that is where all of the things I learned in the military really actually started to kind of benefit me, right? Where I was like, I know how to freaking eat mud and like survive. I'm a, I'm a survivor. So I went through like extreme methods of like freeing up my time for myself, which is really the value of that sound money. The value of the sound money is that you start to free up your time. It's the time that allows you to find that true calling for yourself, right? If you're stuck trading your time for money constantly, you don't have time to go out and try and find it. I found it because I was willing to go live in a broken down van. I left my home to go to California with $700 in my pocket and $1,000 worth of credit. But I was like, I, whatever, I'll just figure it out because I know that I can and that like I'm pretty freaking hard to kill, which is interesting that when I found Bitcoin, it, it didn't really teach me anything new, 
But to something you said a moment ago, it really kind of amplified that potential. It was now not only do I have the time freed up, but I have an asset that acquires more and more value as more and more people find their way into the network, which really helped me to begin to look further out into the future with more stability. I was relatively free through my own accord, but I was still kind of living like a, I was living like a, a minimized existence. I like, I didn't really have money to go and do things, to buy things, to live places. I just figured out how to survive without it. And then I found a good money and that good money amplified my potential because I was able to look further forward and like see what I could do if I still had a money that was worth something further down the road. Love it, man. What a great way to end it. And thank you for being so open and sharing, you know, some of the personal stories that you shared with us. That's incredible. How can people learn more about you and Pleb Lab and come and say hi and interact and come and build with you guys? What's the best way to reach out? Yeah, absolutely. So we've got all the social media platforms. You can find me at the underscore Bitcoin underscore bum. It's kind of lengthy but I'm there. Uh, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at PlebLab. And then honestly, at this point, the fastest way to get a hold of us and to really learn more about what we're doing is to visit our website at pleblab.com. Uh, and guys, if you're out there, if you're, if you're curious about building on Bitcoin, look at the course, get started, just go and do it. If you've already started the journey and you find yourself more entrepreneurially inclined, please reach out. Club Lab is looking to help people just like you uh, as much and as in many ways as we possibly can. We can get you connected to other smart builders, people looking to invest in projects like yours. So if you're out there, if you're looking to build, you've started the journey. Yeah, please reach out. We're here 24 hours a day, seven days a week for the most part. So we're we're looking for people just like you. Love it, mate. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You, you, you are bringing... The military noise into um like that that regiment right that that focus what, what did you say earlier you know wake up and get shit done uh, that is that is a great a great ethos to to carry over and i hope you've inspired many people listening and that people reach out and can we can carry on building this out together appreciate you man thank you so much for coming on yeah thank you and uh we didn't really get into it but i look forward to hear more about what you guys are working on over there on the other side of the world <laughs> oh that'll be another phone call all right man take right. care later hey guys i hope you enjoyed that rip with kyle kyle from pleb labs doing satoshi's work over there in, uh, in texas make sure you stop by say hi to the guys if you're in town or reach out and figure out if there's a way that you can plug into pleb labs or help them in any way this is what we're here to do. This is why we are pushing this message forward as hard and as loud as we possibly can. And uh, don't forget, you should be stacking sets, right? You know who the show sponsors are. They've got your backs. One Bitcoin, Relay, Coin Corner, Hoddle Hoddle. All of these companies can help you stack. Make sure you are up in your privacy game. Use a CoinJoin service if you want to. You can use wasabiwallet.io. It's a very simple setup. The software is very easy to download. It just works. And do your own research into any further uh, coin join 
services if you wish to follow that path and reach out to people on Twitter, reach out to people on Telegram, join Telegram groups. It's very, very easy. These toxic maximalists love to help. You just got to turn up with the right attitude, turn up with questions and just be ready to learn. Uh, you should be self-custodying your Bitcoin. If you've not learned that this this past year, then you should certainly should. You can use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only hardware wallet by Shift Crypto. And you can find all of the links to these services and many more services that are not sponsors of the show, but want to find and offer you plebs up to 10% discount on some of their products. Go to my link tree. Just hit my link tree in the show notes. Everything comes up there. You can just follow those links. It's very, very simple. And more people will join throughout the rest of the year. So just keep an eye on it. And uh, yeah, I, I hope to bring as many discounts, as many plebs as possible. Get to a conference. Have a look at 2023. Try and plan at least one or two trips, if not a conference. A meetup. If not a meetup, download Orange Pill app and try and find someone who's your nearest Bitcoiner. Maybe there's someone 50 kilometers away from you. You can just go and meet halfway. It's such an easy thing to do. Orange Pill app is available on Apple only at the moment, soon to be Android. If you want 10% discount on your tickets to conferences, it's in my link tree, like I said, but you will find discounts there to Miami. There's going to be the conference there in May. Goodness knows how many people are going to turn up to that one. There's also a big one in Europe this year as well in Prague, which you can find a code for a 10% discount. If in doubt, use code BITTEN at checkout on any Bitcoin service or product. You never know. Uh, there might be something there for you. If not, send me the links to where you would like to see discounts and I'll reach out to those companies on your behalf and see if I can get a code for you plebs. Look forward to the next show, guys. Take care. Stack safe.